One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to the Thirsty Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 26, I Didn't Get You Anything. Today's proverb comes from Seneca. I'll read it twice. To repay a favor too quickly is ingratitude. Once more, to repay a favor too quickly is ingratitude. I'd like to take favors and gifts to be interchangeable. So, when you think of a favor, you might think of running to the store for someone or mowing their lawn, as opposed to a gift, which is a thing that's wrapped up and presented on the occasion of a birthday or a housewarming gift. But I believe that favors and gifts are nearly interchangeable so far as the heart of the quote is concerned. So for the rest of the show, I'm going to talk of gifts and use the word gifts to encompass both favors and presents, so to speak. Now, I'd like to start with a theory of gifts, which is not original to myself, but one that I picked up from Peter Lightheart, at some point when I attended uh, his church in Moscow, Idaho, some time ago. And 
I recall Dr. Lightheart making a claim once that gifts remove walls between people. And this is one of the most important fundamental aspects of gift giving. Gifts are removers of walls, existential walls. Gifts can tear down fences. Which makes gifts a bit dangerous. Because good walls make good neighbors. And giving a gift has a way of removing the boundaries between people and uniting people. That's what a good gift does. A good gift unites people. Now, what this means is that we have to be very careful whom we accept gifts from. And yet, it is very hard to be careful about accepting gifts. That is, uh, maybe in 60 seconds, the whole of what I want to argue today. But I'd like to slowly work through this. And I'd like to start with a rare story, or what I take to be a rare story, which is the story of a gift being rejected. I don't think the rejection of a gift is, is terribly common, but it's almost impossible to forget. In the same way that you never forget a big hand that you lose, but you often forget a big hand that you've won, so far as gambling goes, poker goes, so too you might forget a lot of lavish gifts that you've given or received. But that's only because of the relative abundance of gifts received and given over the course of a lifetime. But to have a gift rejected is unusual. Back in high school, I was, I'll say, in love with a girl who was in the class above mine, graduating class above mine. And I was either in love or had a crush on this girl for several years. And uh, she was a good painter. She was a talented artist. And the summer that uh, followed her graduation, I still had a year to go, because I didn't see her on a regular basis or I was not going to see her on a regular basis any longer, I started writing her letters. And we had been something more than acquaintances, although calling us friends seems like a stretch. We were mock trial partners. We were co-counsels um, one year, the year that uh, she graduated. So we had this almost more professional relationship than we did uh, have a lot in common, hang out together. But I had this huge crush on her. And uh, in her junior year or senior year, I forget which now, she had 
taken an elective at the school called Painting Masters. And she had um, done this imitation of a Maxfield Parish painting that was just spectacular. And along with all the other Painting Masters works, it hung in the school auditorium for several months. I was very impressed with it. So the summer after she graduated, I wrote her four or five letters. And then I sent her a gift. I went to, I think it was Walden Books in the mall and bought her a big collection of Maxfield Parish's art, big hardback, not quite coffee table material, uh, but several hundred pages, beautiful, colorful, or full color reproductions. And I bought it new, and I paid $40 for it, which in 1998 money is quite a bit, and in terms of teenage money, it's quite a bit. Because $40, that was nine hours of minimum wage labor that I performed at the grocery store where I worked. So I bought her this book, and I sent it to her in the mail. And she received it, and she called me and thanked me, and then said that she couldn't keep it, and that her father wanted her to return it. And after knowing her for several years, that was effectively the end of our friendship, the returning of this gift. Returning a gift is a sort of way of rejecting an entire relationship. It's very hard to carry on a relationship, a friendship, a romance, a professional relationship. Returning a gift is the effective end of a relationship. It's rare to return gifts because of the nature of gifts. There is, not entirely, but almost an unavoidable, irresistible quality to a gift that you are given. Now, the irresistible nature of a gift often makes it a burden as well. There's power in giving a gift. And everyone who's ever received a gift knows the power that the gift giver has over the gift receiver. Now, I'll qualify that claim by saying an unexpected gift has this sort of power. Most of the time, the giving and receiving of gifts occurs within the economy of a relationship and it's not difficult to receive a gift from someone whom you expect to give a gift to in the future. 
For this reason, it's not uncomfortable for a husband to receive a gift from his wife because he knows that he'll give a gift to his wife in return for her birthday, for their anniversary, for Christmas or Easter or what have you. And most long-term friendships run through uh, cycles that owe something to uh, the calendar where you give your friend a gift, he gives you a gift, and you have an expectation of the friendship carrying on for long enough that there's really no need for anyone to keep tabs on who's given who what. I have a friend who I work with, and we have a friendship that's based on uh, our shared careers. We have a friendship that's based on living near one another, living in the same community as one another. Uh, And no small part of our friendship uh, has been cultivated while drinking beer together. And over the course of several years, uh, he has opened a lot of very fine drinks in front of me. I've opened a lot in front of him. We've shared an awful lot. And at a certain point, because we both expect this relationship, this friendship to carry on, there's no need to keep track. There's no need to uh, have some sort of tab where I repay him and he repays me um, for sharing these expensive bottles of beer. It's, uh, It's the nature of a friendship to not keep a record of wrongs, nor to keep uh, a running tab or a, a ledger. A friendship doesn't have a ledger. Because you expect the relationship to carry on and you know that you will keep uh, gifting things to your friend, he will keep gifting things to you, and then it will all shake out in the end. And even if it doesn't, you don't care because, well, friendship values the other person as a person, not for what you can get from them. Now, this said, the friendship carries on in such a way that there is a regular giving and receiving of gifts, and the gifts are of comparable cost. It's very different, however, to receive a gift from someone that you're not exactly friends with, or someone that you know, someone that you've never given a gift to before, someone who you don't expect to give a gift to in the future. All of a sudden, a gift shows up, which often happens at Christmas time. Right? Christmas is the time for the giving of first gifts. That's one of those tense things about Christmas. In the course of Christmas time, you will be told and tell others at least half a dozen times, I didn't get you anything. And there will be a sort of shame about it. Someone looks you in the eye when you've handed them something and says, I didn't get you anything. Now, at times that can be disappointing, but if you really want the other person to have the gift that you've purchased for them, you actually don't want to hear that. It's nice when two people spontaneously give gifts to one another for the first time. And when Christmas is the occasion, when you give a gift to somebody and they give a gift to you, it's an acknowledgement that we both see this 
emerging friendship as a friendship. But to repay a favor too quickly, not to give gifts at the same time on Christmas, not to give a birthday present to your spouse when they're born in April and to receive a gift when you're born in May, to repay a favor from someone you don't know well too quickly is ingratitude. Now, why is it ingratitude? Why does Seneca say it's ingratitude as opposed to just saying it's tasteless or bad manners? Well, I'll go back to this theory that gifts tear down boundaries between people. And I say this because there are certain gifts you cannot give certain people. I can buy my wife a pair of earrings for no good reason, but I can't buy my neighbor's wife a pair of earrings for no good reason. A student could give me a $20 gift card as a Christmas present. I could not give a student a $20 gift card apropos of nothing in the middle of the year. Some gifts have to have an occasion attached to them. But I couldn't buy my neighbor's wife a pair of earrings, no matter what the occasion, because gifts tear down boundaries. And the boundary between me and my neighbor's wife needs to be there. It's for our benefit and protection and for our ease and comfort in living. I don't want to worry about other people giving, other men giving my wife presents. I want it to be known or I enjoy living in a society which embodies a philosophy of gifts such that everyone knows that that is inappropriate. But gifts tear down existential boundaries and unite people. So when someone does you a favor or gives you a gift, you take on a sort of indebtedness to them and their gift and that very person who's given the gift have a sort of power over you. Now, this, the power over another person that comes from giving them a gift is a very strange sort of power. In fact, I would say it's a unique power in all the world. There are many different kinds of power. There's seductive power. There's coercive power. There's the power of... There's the power to compel devotion, which is religious power. Um, you give a tithe to your church, not because your church has coercive power over you, and not because they have seductive power, but the power of devotion is its own thing. Now, when I say seductive power, I, I don't mean... Um, I don't mean like a seductress has power, but seductive power is the power of beauty, and this is how celebrity endorsements work. Um, Michael Jordan wears Nikes. Michael Jordan uh, is powerful and elegant and uh, there's beauty to his style of playing. And so it's his beauty and his goodness that makes us want to be like him. And that's seductive power. It's all celebrity endorsements. You want to impress in some sort of strange fantasy, you want to impress the celebrity who endorses the product. 
you want some physical token, some costly token of your allegiance with that celebrity. Then there's coercive power. This is the power of governments and police and bullies and, and that sort of thing. And it's simply the power to hurt you if you don't do what the empowered one wants. But the power that comes from giving a gift is not exactly any of those. And it, it has shades of all of them. The power of a gift has some qualities of coercive power, some qualities of seductive power, even some qualities of devotional power. But it's none of them. It kind of moves from one to the next in a, a protean sort of way. And you can never exactly pin it down. Now, I will say that I don't believe that the power of a gift is the obligation that it creates, although gifts do create a sense of obligation. And when someone gives you a gift, you don't know what they're going to do next. If someone's never given you a gift and if you don't have a relationship with them, it's really impossible to predict what will become of this gift. Now, it's ingratitude to repay a gift too quickly because it's a sign of mistrust. If you repay a favor or return a gift too quickly, it's a sign that you are unwilling to live with the burden and anxiety that comes with receiving a gift. It's to say your offer of friendship is declined I would prefer a transactional relationship. I don't trust you. I suspect that there are strings attached to this gift. And so I'm going to give you a gift right back so that I can lay claim on you just as much as you can lay claim on me. Now, this is true if the gifts are of a similar value, of course. Uh, it might be that some, uh, some benefactor of yours um, purchases a new car for you, and you purchase your benefactor a house plant as a way of saying thank you, that's not returning a favor too quickly. That favor has not actually been returned. But, I mean, you can imagine how crass it would be if someone purchased you a gift for the first time, some Christmas, and gave you this gift on December 20th, and it was rather obvious that the value of the gift was around $200. And you were to give that person in response the, the day after a $200 Visa gift card. That would be a way of saying, I don't trust you. Or that would be a fair inference from it. It might also mean that you just have no social graces, I suppose. Repaying a gift too quickly is a sign that you didn't want the gift in the first place, that you didn't want the other person to try to tear down those boundaries or to remove those boundaries. It's a lack of trust. But Seneca says to repay a favor too quickly is ingratitude. Not to repay a favor is ingratitude. 
So the question is, what exactly is the repaying of a favor too quickly? On what account is it too quickly? Now, while there is no exact science to the repaying of a gift, I do think that there are that there's a rule of thumb for repaying a favor. And I would say that a good rule of thumb is that you repay a favor at about the point that it's reasonable to forget that it's been done. Which means that a tremendous favor might not be repaid for many years. But this makes sense. The opportunity to repay a huge favor might take many years to come along. I mean, if somebody does you a $10 favor, it would probably take you about 10 days to forget about it. You would have to be able to see that person and for the invisible weight of the favor to have disappeared. So maybe friendships have or relationships, human relationships, not just friendships, but all relationships, have a sort of metabolism whereby gifts are consumed. And once it's reasonable to have forgotten about a gift, then it can be repaid. After a reasonable time has elapsed such that you could expect a person to have forgotten about the gift, to give a gift in return at that point is a sign that you remember the gift beyond what's reasonable. And thus, a friendship is forming. Because friendship's not reasonable. A friendship is not natural. Friendship is supernatural. Animals aren't friends. It's not just rational. It's not just reasonable. It's beyond reason. So, to return a gift after it's reasonable to have forgotten about it means that the gift has been absorbed, the boundary between you has been torn down, or part of it's been torn down. I mean, you might think of it as as this sort of 10-foot wall, this 10-foot tall existential fence or brick wall stands between people who are not friends. And the giving of a gift can knock down a few inches of that wall. And if you wait long enough to have absorbed the gift, then when you give a gift in return, you're knocking down some more of that wall as opposed to building the wall up again. So going back to the story that I told at the beginning of the show, after I gave the gift of this Maxfield parish book to this girl I had a crush on in high school and she returned it then the friendship was over or it was over for many years six years after she returned that book and I had not seen her or spoken to her in a very long time. I sent her a letter out of the blue. I got her email address. I mean, six years after high school. We're both adults at this point. I got her email address and I sent her an email and and I thanked her for 
letting me down easy in high school. Because she was very gracious and apologetic in returning the book. And she wrote me back. And we exchanged uh, emails for about a month and a half. And then we shared some phone calls. This is six years after she graduated, five years after I graduated. And then after we had been emailing and calling back and forth for several months, I sent her the same book again. And on the inside cover of the book, I wrote, having written in the book, I don't think the store will take it back this time. I wanted you to have this six years ago, and it didn't work out. Six years later, I want you to have it again. Hope that it will work out. And we were married about a year after that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.